This episode of Holy Cannoli contains a sensitive discussion that might trigger strong emotion. For episode 18, we'll leave this important discussion to stand alone. Our mom and dad will be back next week to discuss The Color of Grief, which is the title of this podcast episode. Well, hey everybody, Tony Gapastone here. I am really delighted to share uh, this podcast today with you. I have a special guest who, if you listened to the podcast with my mom, I had talked about how I was really encouraged with a story of a family who lost their son in the way that the, the father shared at the memorial about what his first interaction must have been like with Jesus. Well, today I have Kristen Eberwein on the podcast with me today. And this, uh, we've been sharing, we're at the Brave Maker offices right now, and we've been sharing about the color of grief. And I'm excited to jump into this with Kristen today. This is a most fragile, transparent, and honest story. A story that I know if you will sit back and listen is going to touch you give you permission to feel, to heal, to doubt, to cry, to clench your fists. And it's a deep one. It's a one that uh, I feel like we don't talk about enough. So I'm going to introduce or have Kristen introduce herself to you. And uh, I'm just honored that you would be here, Kristen, today. So thank Mm -hmm. you for being willing to be on Holy Cannoli. Yeah, I'm excited. So we met in 2013. Is that right? Or did I meet you before because uh, of your, of Cole? I think, yeah, I think um, you came into the house when we were doing the dinner, the um, 18th dinner for Cole. Okay, that's right. And I actually didn't know where you fit into the picture. (laughs) You're like, who is this guy in my house? It's so funny when your kids actually meet people (laughs) and you have no idea where they met them. You know, it's like normally when you're you know, when you're in charge of the family, you kind of control who they meet and who they interact with and stuff. And it's, it's kind of a real interesting changing point when they actually can bring someone to the party and say, Oh, this is a friend that I, I met. So it's like, wow, like I, I, I had no influence on that. Like, where did that person come from? So anyway, so yeah, it was really nice and a very nice surprise. Awesome. To there. Well, uh, Kristen's talking about her son, Cole, who I met at a retreat. I believe I was doing a retreat for the high school that he was a part of. And we just connected. I think, like you know, like he come to me, like, hey, can I talk to you? Can we hang out? And then we ended up hanging out a couple different times. He was a junior, I believe, at that time. Um, yeah, because or a senior was he a senior? It was a senior. Okay, so he was a, <laughs> yeah, senior. was a senior. And then, so your son Cole's brother Walker was how old? Um, okay, so um, Cole was a senior, and uh, my second son Walker was starting his junior year and then I also had a third son who is who was starting his freshman year at the time. So they were all in high school at the same time. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Busy okay. time. Very it busy, is a busy time. time. <laughs> okay. So you have three you had three sons and this uh, in twenty thirteen everything sort of comes crum- crum- crumbling down. It it was a life changing experience and moment for you and for your husband, Bill. Can you just share what that was like and and what happened? Um, well, actually kind of the story starts a little bit before Mm -hmm. that where Mm -hmm. Bill, uh, my husband was diagnosed with cancer and that was, um, it seemed like there was so many things going on in my family. Um, two months, um, before my husband was diagnosed with cancer, my, my mother passed away with cancer. So it seemed like we had one thing after another, after another, but my, um, my mother passed away and then my, um, husband was diagnosed with cancer. And then, um, I was so busy dealing with him 
that I didn't really um, notice kind of what was going on with my kids. I kind of tend to focus and do one thing at a time. And um, that's kind of boy-like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so I was dealing with him and I didn't realize what was happening with my middle son. He was spinning out of control and I had no idea what was going on with it. Um, I didn't realize that he wasn't eating and that he wasn't um, sleeping. And I mean, I knew he had some issues that were, um, that were troubling him, but you know, he'd always been kind of an emotional kid. And so I didn't really see any of these lines um, until actually they really presented themselves to me. So, um, yeah, I was in the middle of, of trying to deal with my husband, dealing with his um, cancer treatments. And um, and then the issue came up that I was having issues with um, my middle son, Walker. Mm-hmm. And um, so can't remember what the question was. <laughs> yeah. So what, what were those concerns that were coming to surface from Walker? So Walker was always a different um, child, um, just very, um, I don't know, just very, uh, the other kids were very outgoing and he was very introspective mm. and he was just, a di- there was just something about him that was just very different. And I didn't really understand until a little bit later that he was actually diagnosed with Asperger's, mm. um, but it was slight. Um, but we knew something was different about him, but we loved him and that we loved his quirkiness and Mm -hmm. that was just kind of the way it was. But we didn't, um, we didn't know kind of what was going on with him at the time. Um, but, um, he started to present with the depression. And, um, so while I was dealing with the cancer, then we brought Walker into the diagnosis field as well and said, okay, something's going on with my son. We don't know. Um, he's, he's really feeling like he's, he's lost and he's not eating and he's not sleeping. And, um, and so that's when the whole process started was when we were in the middle of the diagnosis with my husband. Hmm. So, So was there any connection or thought that you were noticing what was going on in Walker? Did you think, oh, this is just a teenager's response to what his dad is going through? I mean, how did that, how did you process that? Um, I'm not like a normal woman. Um, I don't, um, I don't do a lot of different things at one time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of the typical stereotypical thing, right? That men really focus in and women tend to be, you know, they can take on 5 million things at once. Um, I'm more boy like that. Mm -hmm. And um, my dad always told me that I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I should be (laughs) happy about that or not. (laughs) But, um, so I was, I was so focused in on Bill that, um, I, I didn't really look around me very much. It was very focused. I knew it was going to be quick. Um, in terms of we needed to get on things really quickly because he was diagnosed um, having very a far stage of cancer and um, which you know just I it just doesn't even enter your mind that something like that's going to happen to your family so I was just so focused on him mm. that I'm one of these people that I process in silos so it's like mm-hmm. I needed to deal with my husband needed to mm. deal with my husband I'm not, I, I can't deal with everything else yet everything else will be okay everything else kind of if things get lost along the way it'll be okay I can pick them up later but I was really focusing in on him and so honestly I, I wasn't seeing a lot of the signs about what was going on around me um, you know kids are moody and teenagers are moody and um, kids are sometimes obnoxious and sometimes kids do, you know, they just are, are on a totally different path. Um, each one of them is always on a different path. And so you kind of don't know it and you're, you know, you're kind of going through this the first time with your kids. So you don't know what to really expect. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really see, honestly, things that were very different. I knew he was always kind of a little bit more moody and, and, but I, I didn't see the signs, a lot of the signs that he was having and that were being presented um, in his demeanor. And, um, he, he was not sleeping at all. 
um, and then sometimes sleeping through class, and mm -hmm. then um, wasn't eating, um, having um, nightmares, you know, of someone killing him, and mm -hmm. over and over and over again, which, um, hello, I didn't, like, why don't you tell me that? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I didn't know all this was going on, and this was going on for about, I think, six months before I even knew mm. what was going on, and he was growing, so he was really thin, um, but you know, my family's tall and thin. I'm six feet tall. So mm -hmm. I kind of expected it to be, you know, him to be tall and thin. So when he wasn't very, um, you know, beefed up like a normal kid, I was just like, okay, that's how it is. That's how I was. So I didn't see some of the signs that were there, the not eating and stuff. And, and um, I just didn't, I was focused on other things. So I just, it kind of went by me. So unfortunately. And how did you come to find out all of that information? About Walker? Oh, yeah. well, um, thankfully a teacher came to me and said, um, I just want you to know what's going on with your son. Mm. He is not eating. He's sleeping in class and all this other stuff. And, and I just, I had no idea because I was so focused on dealing with my husband's cancer mm -hmm. that um, that just wasn't, that wasn't on my radar at all. And so when they came to me and told me about that, it's, I took that on as a new project. It's like, okay, so I will deal with one day we're going to be dealing with my husband and his treatment. And then the next day it's like trying to find therapists and, and trying to get, which, you know, no one really told me that that is a like month long, you know, three month, four month, five month long process to get somebody that connects mm. in with your, with your son. I can, I'm one of these people that I like, um, instant gratification and I wanted to be able to find somebody. I wanted them to fix him. And I wanted to be mm. able to move on. And um, that's just not the case with mental health. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know anything about it. Mm. Nothing about it. And um, so I, I just there was, it was such a, a learning curve for me. Because that's not how I was at all. And, um, and sometimes I'm that way. I'm not as empathetic. Maybe I have that little chip missing as well. Where... Um, I'm like, okay, you need to buck up and, and move on. Like, you need to get out of bed. You need to, to, you know, what am I doing? And I took it actually very personally, mm. um, everything that was going on. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Mm. Like, why why are you not? I mean, are we, like, making it this way? Are you are you really this unhappy? Are we? It was, wow. um, it was horrible. Wow. Like, I just took it very, which is really so self-centered, mm. you know? It's... Um, that's, that's a whole nother topic for therapy, mm -hmm. but, um, it really was very self-centered and what have I done, you know, to make this, make you like this. And what have I done to, um, you know, to create this environment where you feel this way, which I just didn't understand mental illness. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any experience in it at all. So it was a really steep learning curve for me. And there was a lot of things I wish I would have known. And there's a lot of different things I wish I have. I would have done differently, okay. but, but you just don't know that, right? When you're going through it for the first time, you have no idea. And if you don't have any exposure to it, I mean, I had no exposure to, to mental health, really, I didn't. And so, you know, between juggling with my husband and his cancer, and then, then it's like, oh, we got one more thing to throw in there. We've got a son who's, you know, sleeping through school and not getting up and not eating and dropping weight and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And I, I didn't even see it was in front of me. And so this mm. teacher, thankfully, came um, up and said, do you know what's going on? He's just not eating. And mm. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, mm. I didn't know any of that because mm. um, my focus was definitely towards my husband. 
And so I was kind of juggling a lot at that point when I realized there was a whole nother diagnosis that I needed to be dealing with, not only with my husband, with but with him. So I'm thinking about every parent who feels overwhelmed with uh, children in general, no matter what kind of things they have going on in their life, uh, just being overwhelmed, getting your kid to school, getting your kid to eat, you know, at dinner time, uh, then layer upon those things where they have things going on at school that you're out of control, uh, their, their moodiness, trying to figure out life, they're discovering themselves. I think every parent understands the feeling of being overwhelmed mm -hmm. and feeling like we're, we're not able to control our, our kids and you don't ability know to be normal. happy. Yeah. You don't know what's right. normal, right? You don't know. What, what is normal? I mean, mm -hmm. it's like you're all kind of going through it. I mean, you figure it out afterwards like, oh, okay, that part was that part was normal and that part wasn't. But um, yeah, I mean, you're kind of learning as you go, right? So what you said, you know, in, in retrospect, what are some things you know now that you go, okay, I, I could have done this different. Do you go through that? Is that just like going down oh, the guilt yeah. path? Do you, oh, yeah. what do you, I, how do you deal with, deal with that? Oh, I was really good at that guilt path for several years. Mm -hmm. Um, it's pretty self-centered. Yeah. Really what I came down with it is that like, what did I do to make yeah. you feel like this? What did I do? This is all me and it's all about me and why, mm -hmm. you know, why can't, you know, how come I can't create, uh, how come I can't control this, mm -hmm. this situation and, and what can I do? Cause I'm a doer and a fixer yeah. and a, you know, that's what I do. Yeah. And, um, so when I kept coming to him and saying, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. What am I doing wrong? And I remember one time him coming to me and goes, don't you know, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it still kind of took me off, off guard. And I'm yeah. like, what do you mean? I mean, like, I'm your mom. Like I am in charge of you. And so of course it's about me. Like I'm doing something wrong so that you're feeling like this. It's gotta be about me. Hmm. And, um, but I didn't really understand mental illness. Mm -hmm. You know, of course now I'm the, I've become the the master because I've I've read so much on it on mental illness and and I wish I would have known more then, um, but it's not something that's kind of, people are really well versed on mm -hmm. and 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 I mean even the topic of suicide I just I remember what I thought was so interesting was that when there was a time there were um, I was listening to the radio. And they were saying, uh, we're um, having a walk for people to um, help stop the suicide. And I remember being so callous and saying, you know, gosh, if they mm -hmm. want to kill themselves, like what, like, why are we stopping? I mean, you know, wow. it's like they're in charge of their own life. And what's, you know, why are we, why yeah. are we like focusing in on that? And then like, there's nothing you can, I mean, why are we? So I was just wow. so callous on that. And then until I understood until I understood mental, mental illness and mm. until I understood what it's really all about, mm -hmm. um, then I became very empathetic. But before then, I'm like, well, if they, you know, that's their life. And, you know, I just didn't get it. I didn't get it that it was an illness and a sickness. I didn't, I was so ill-informed mm. about the whole, um, about the whole medical condition. I mean, I, and then you know, to throw it on top of that is, is he was Asperger's. Mm -hmm. And so, um, which he was diagnosed at 16 and, um, I had no clue. I just thought he was quirky. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that if I would have known a lot more of that stuff is that I, I didn't know the mental illness tends to bump into it. 
um, to Asperger's. It's not like they have to be together, but they tend to bump into each other just because of the nature of the beast. And um, I just wish I was more well-informed on yeah. that. So what things have you learned now, now that you're so versed and you've read so many things? I mean, I'm thinking about people who have loved ones. What things would you pass on to them? What could they know or what? how could they learn more? Maybe books or resources or anything? I think the biggest thing is what I just said, which was the personal part of it. It's just, I made it all about me. Mm. I made it all about me. And, you know, I wanted to have my Martha Stewart house and my, mm. my beautiful, well-behaved children that are beautiful in their Christmas picture. Mm. And, um, I mean, that was, that was what I wanted. And I remember actually there was a sermon at church where the um, the pastor got up and said, you want your kids to be the straight A student. You want your kids to be the soccer star. You want your mm. kids to be the baseball star. You want it. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I want all that. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, wait, what, where's the bad part? Where's the bad part? And he was going on and on about mm. this. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's exactly how I am. I, mean, I remember filling up their days with like, yeah. you had the baseball and the dance lessons and the, you know, everything. And so I wanted this perfect idyllic life and I didn't. I didn't, this wasn't in the equation. I didn't understand it. It's something that I couldn't um, put my hands around. I tried to, to figure it out. And it was just something that was so foreign to me, um, that it was a really steep learning curve. And, um, what I'm the most embarrassed about is that I, I was so self-centered mm. and thinking it was all about me and what am I doing wrong and why are they, you know, why is he not responding and what can, you know, it was all me centered instead of, He's sick. Yeah. I mean, he's sick. He's he's got some, you know, he's got some issues with his brain. The way mm -hmm. that he's he's processing information and the way mm -hmm. that things are happening, and that was a really steep learning curve for me because I live in an area where everyone's perfect, yep. and we have no room in this area. I think for people that are imperfect mm -hmm. or that have children that have some issues, mm -hmm. and so that was. I was trying to toe the line. Mm. I was trying to have, you know, my perfect kids, well-behaved, well-mannered, smart. Um, I mean, I wanted it all, like everyone. And when I knew that there was problems, um, then it was, you know, it was a blow to me. Like, oh, my, like, I haven't been able to control this. And, yeah. you know, I, I want to make sure that I have a good family. And I want to make sure that I'm, you know, doing everything right. But it's so interesting when all this came down with Walker, how many people came out of the woodwork? And that's where I found my community. Mm. And um, that's where I still kind of, my heart just goes to the people. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes when I talk to people, it takes me a couple of days just to even get over it. But um, those are my peeps. Mm -hmm. And so the people that are really dealing with issues that are tough mm -hmm. and um, mental illness that I really didn't know anything about, um, those are the people now that I, I kind of hang with mm. and, um, try to help whenever I can. Mm -hmm. Um, cause people reach out to me quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a pretty public, um, a public, um, I don't know. I don't know how to say it, but, um, we, we were, um, we were known in our community mm -hmm. and so word travels really quickly. Mm. And, um, so big service, big impact, um, because we were, you know, quote unquote, doing life right. Mm. And, um, 
you know, it's like, well, what happened to that family? You know, it's like they had this issue with their son. Why did he take his life? And, mm. and I remember when people um, would say they took their life, I'm like, oh, well, something must have happened to them. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't, I wasn't even educated. Yeah. It's like, I didn't even understand that there was mental illness like that, where it's like, it's something completely different. It's not like, it's not like anything, anyone did anything to them, but it's, mm. but it's a whole condition. I mean, mm. I just was so uneducated mm. and I'm a, you know, relatively educated person mm. and I knew nothing about it. Mm. And I had so many misconceptions. Mm. And I remember even the neighbor boy when he, um, my, um, my neighbor um, came down and said, you know, my son is really dealing with some depression and I'm like, Oh, what happened to him? Yeah. You know, something must have happened to him. I'm mm. so sorry that something happened to him. I had no idea. And it was such an education process of non understanding mental illness and what happens. And unfortunately, I just have an understanding of that now after I've lost my son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're hitting on something that I have, I feel ignorant to as well, but I know is a big concern for us is how do we talk about, talk around, talk, help. Uh, learn, know anything when it comes to mental illness, because sometimes I think as a follower of Jesus, as a spiritual person, as a Christian, whatever you want to say, sometimes we want easy answers and we say, well, let's pray. Let's pray for you. And let's pray that you you get relieved of that. Let's pray that you, you know, you like, get happy. I mean, we don't necessarily say those words all the time, mm -hmm. but we don't know what to do with people who are depressed. Uh, we want them to snap out of it. And I can't imagine what that would be like, you know, um, to have depression and to feel like something is wrong with you because you can't snap out of it. And then all your prayers aren't being answered that why isn't God doing anything about it? And then there's a whole other thing I don't understand about, you know, where there's some people don't want to, you know, use medications and that. I mean, so that's what a topic I, I have nothing, you know, I know nothing about, but I think you're just surfacing that concern. Like, how do we talk about that? How do we help families? be okay and be human. And, you know, we live in the Bay area. So listeners, if you, you hear her say, you know, we live in this perfect community and <clears throat> I'm thinking you might feel like, well, our community is not, we live in the Bay area that tends to even have like this high stress for teens like in Palo Alto. I believe the suicide rate for, for teens in Palo Alto is super high because they're so driven and so busy that from what I hear that students feel so much anxiety. So there's this one element of our community that people become doctors and go to Stanford. And so people talk about our area in that way. Like we are the creme de la creme of, um, of the area, you know, Palo Alto, Stanford. So you've got all these pressures. And then if you layer that onto like the church community, you know, I mean, I'm, I'll be the first to admit I was a part of that beast in a way that we sometimes don't make room for imperfection. We don't mm -hmm. make room for people to be human. We don't make room for people to be honest mm -hmm. with what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And uh, that makes me so sad that because we don't tell stories, we don't tell like the process. We usually tell our stories of when people are quote unquote healed or at the end and they're right. perfect and they're done and we're not making room for the process of grief. So uh, that's what I was so drawn to want to talk to you because you blogged and if I can, I'll post those blogs mm -hmm. on our Facebook page. But so, okay. So October, 2013 happens. Mm -hmm. What was the date? Um, it was, um, October 14th, 14th, mm -hmm. which is so interesting. My grandma took her life on October 13th. 
2012. So just okay. a year. So that was, was was so interesting as I was processing my own stuff and then mm-hmm. I got entered into the story with you all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Yeah, so talk about what that was like in the process of the, the day, the month. You said off podcast, it was like a blur, which we would expect. Time was going, but you were not even able to understand chronology at that moment. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that? It's, it's, um, it's a bit of a time warp, right? Mm-hmm. When you, and you don't, when everything's going on. I mean, it, there was just so many things going on. You want me to talk specifically about how, how, what the day was like? Or sure. Was it? Yeah. I mean, if you feel okay. comfortable with that, the day and then the months of around it. Yeah. So there was just so many things going on in my life at the point where I was trying to keep my husband alive. Um, and, um, for, you know, pretty, pretty devastating cancer. And then, um, and then when it came, came to light that my son had some issues and was not doing well in school and was not participating and not, and I found out that he wasn't even sleeping and I had no idea. And then there was all these other things that kind of came out of the woodwork. I didn't realize he was cutting, which who in the heck knew what cutting Mm. was, but, um, so there was all these things that came up and I was trying to get through with my husband along with trying to, um, trying to get, you know, my kid into therapy. And I didn't realize that that's like this full on huge process of trying to match up and trying to, you know, trying to have a kid that, um, is trying to connect and he's, um, not very, um, willing to do any help at all. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what meds to use and, um, and so, you know, I'm trying to get him into exercise. And so it was just, it was just such a chaos mm. of, of time right then. Cause I was trying to deal with my husband and trying to deal with, um, with Walker. And, um, so what led up to it was it just kind of, it, it, it tended to get worse and worse where I was going from room to room, whether it was my husband in bed or, mm. um, my son who wasn't able to get out of bed in the morning. And, um, you know, the lack of knowledge for me of understanding depression also hindered his progress, I think, as well, because I just didn't understand the beast. Mm. And um, so it was a really, it was a very, very rough time. Um, um, And it was times where we were going to doctors and trying to um, figure out what's the right medication and trying to get him out of the house and trying um, just whatever we could possibly do to get him to be better. And, um, unfortunately it was, um, a time when I had to make a decision, a life decision, um, because I knew my husband was going to die. And, um, so I need to figure out if I had to send my son away, if I could Mm -hmm. send him, if I'd send him away, then I knew that he would never see his father again. So I was putting that off for quite a while, mm-hmm. which I knew that that was an option that we could send him to some place where that he could get helped. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just didn't want to do that because I knew I had months to go with my husband. And so I just, I, w- I, didn't, I wanted to keep the family intact. Mm-hmm. And, um, but finally I got to the point, which was his last weekend actually. And um, I just told my husband, I said, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. we got to send him away now. And I remember asking him, are you okay not seeing him? again. And, um, I said, because we can wait. Um, but are you okay with that? And he said, if he's getting help and it will be better, then it's better to not wait. Um, so go ahead and let's progress and further with this and we'll send him to a place. 
And so um, he was actually going to be, he died on Monday and he was, uh, um, we had had him scheduled to be picked up on Tuesday. So we wow. missed him by a day. Wow. Um, and um, so there's a whole lot of therapy wrapped up in that one. <laughs> so, um, so that took quite a, f- a while to unpack mm. um, for sure, because I just felt like we were, we, we missed it by 24 hours. Um, but anyway, um, so that weekend, it was the dark weekend and um, Walker was just inconsolable. Mm. And um, um, which I understand there's a whole, if I would have known more about suicide, I would have been able to, to see the signs coming, but there's like a whole cocooning that kind of goes on um, where they, they kind of get up the strength mm. um, to make the decision to do, to go ahead with stuff. And mm. um, my understanding now is that there was other attempts that I didn't know about. Wow. But um, so that weekend, um, the fateful weekend, he was in bed quite a bit and, um, you know, I'd push, you know, I'd put food in the room and he'd push it back out and I'd open up the windows and he'd close them. And I'd, mm. you know, it was just a painful um, weekend um, to be a part of. And then I just remember, you know, bringing him in food and he pushed the tray away. And that was kind of it for me. I just, I went to my husband's room. Um, he was bedridden at this time. Um, we just, you know, spent most of his time there. And I just said, I'm ready. I'm ready. I, I, I think I'm ready to be okay with not having him see you at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to figure out his health and I think we're ready to send, to send him away to get some help because we just weren't getting it at home and he wasn't attending and it just so many things. And, um, so we made that decision. And then that next day, that, that Monday, um, we actually, um, that Monday, we spent probably six hours on the phone with different organizations, and we had him all lined up and ready to go. And so the next day, they were going to they call it the extraction, which oh, wow, is, yeah. how weird is that? Yeah. But um, where they come in in the middle of the night just because they oh um, don't want to miss him, and they want it to be where it's wow. it's the freaky thing. It's wow. really it's like freaky. something you see in movies, yeah. Totally. And so they come in. They have two people come in, and they, um, they take you in the middle of the night so that there's no way that you'll run away or anything. Wow. And so... Which is so freaky, right, to think that you're going to put your child through that. But at this point, hmm. we were at our wit's end. and We didn't. We had found out at that point that he had been cutting. Hmm. Um, so, which I just thought, gosh, I mean, like, I had no idea how far this thing had progressed. I had no idea. And, um, you know, we had the idyllic life, right? Hmm. It's like... A nice little family, a nice little house, a nice little community. We do service work. We do, I mean, mm-hmm. we had it all. We were like the, you know, the good little family. And then to have this chaos, it was just really hard to deal with in our area as well, where mm-hmm. everybody's perfect. And so, um, so anyway, so it, we were, we were scheduling for him to go that next day. And he took his life, um, that afternoon on Monday and we had him scheduled to go on Tuesday. Um, I just didn't see it coming. I just didn't see it coming. Mm. And um, I just, I, I knew we had problems. I just didn't know how bad they were. And um, I just was always brought up that you can deal with everything. And so I just, I'm kind of one of those people, I'm pretty linear. It's like, I need to deal with daddy and we need to deal with him. He's sick. And so I kind of was spending the majority of my time with him, getting his, 
you know, therapy's done and his surgery's done, all everything else with him. And um, so I just, I didn't have the bandwidth mm. to be, I'm like, I kept kind of putting him on the box on the shelf and saying, I'll deal with you in just a bit. Um, you know, I just, I, I knew we had to deal with him, but I just, I thought it was more pressing to be, to be with my husband. Mm-hmm. And um, so that day was um, just a shocking day, you know, shocking, shocking day. Um, when, you know, I don't know if you want details on that or whatever you feel comfortable. Sharing. So no, it just was it. Like you look back now and you realize, I just realized everything was so laid out perfectly. Like, duh, this is what was going on. Mm, how? What did but, you? Well, I just, I mean, the day, I mean, I don't know if you don't want me to go through the day, but it, the day was, um, yeah. Did you say goodbye? Did he say goodbye to you in a so, unique yeah, way? So like, so like I, yeah, well, um, what happened was the weekend before, this is on Friday. On Friday, he came to me, mm. and um, I had just gotten back from taking my son to college visits down in Southern California. And I came back, and um, my son was, um, at this point, very moody, didn't want to be touched, didn't want to be you know, dealt with. And he came up to me, and he gave me the biggest and the longest hug mm. that I've that he's ever given me, I think. And I remember speaking to my husband over his shoulder, you know, so that he couldn't hear, but, you know, miming the words. And I just, you know, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Mm. You know, I was pointing to him going, I can't believe he's, he's, um, you know, I'm getting this, this response from him. He's hugging me. And I just wanted it to last forever, you Mm -hmm. know, as us moms do, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, and so I remember my husband turning to me and say, yeah, I got one of those too. Mm. And I look back now and those were our goodbye hugs. Wow. So that weekend was, um, the dark weekend when he went under and um, just stayed in the whole weekend and just couldn't get him out. That was very tough for us. And that was the weekend when we decided that was it. We kind of reached the point where we could only do so much more. And then, um, and then he went to school and then I remember picking him up from school and um, from what day? uh, On Monday, on Monday, Monday. Monday. I picked him up on Monday and that was the day that he died. But um, I picked him up and I remember looking over and seeing somebody, um, he was hugging somebody and he was hugging him kind of a long, a long time. And I remember kind of looking away cause I didn't want to disturb that, you know, like I didn't want to be invading that, that private moment. And then he went to another person and hugged another person. And, um, I was just kind of waiting in the car and, uh, and then he gets in the car and then just slumps. And it's like that took all of his energy out, you know, and then, mm. um, and then, um, we drive home and by the time that we had gotten home, I was in carpool. So I dropped off a couple girls. And at that point, um, he was completely asleep. Like it was three o'clock and he was completely asleep in the car, which is kind of weird, right? Mm-hmm, you look mm-hmm. at it and you're like, well, that's so, so I, mean, I guess they kind of muster up the energy for that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I don't know. Um, I look back now and I think that's what it was. But I had um, told him, I said, you know, we have a therapy session for you and we have a new therapist that we want you to try. And he said, I think I'm going to ride my bike. 
And so for the longest time, we kept saying, you know, if you can just try to exercise for a half hour, because, you know, they say that for mental illness, it's really good to kind of clear everything out, that you exercise a half hour a day, and it really kind of keeps you centered and grounded. And so we were um, excited that he said on his own, I want to, I want to go ride my bike to this therapy. So I'm like, I'm like, we're like, wow, like we're making headway. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, um, because that's what we want to think, right? Yeah. Um, and things are, everything's going to be okay. But um, so he left. This is a Monday afternoon Monday after afternoon, school. Monday afternoon at um, hmm. like, yeah, like around three or so after we got back from carpool. And wow. um, and then he was in his school clothes and my husband's like, well, do you want to put on some shorts so it's easier to ride your bike? And um, it's funny the details that you remember, right? Yeah, yeah. And um He's like, oh, yeah, 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 I probably do. But, you know, it's just a weird fact. I don't know. I, I put all those weird facts together and I try to figure out what the what the connection is on everything, right? But um, so he wrote off and then, I, but I think I had uh, given my um, husband the instructions. I said, you know, let him know where he's going. And so then I said to you, did you give him the address? And he said, well, no. And I'm like, well he's riding a bike off to therapy and you don't, he and it's a brand new therapy and you didn't give him the address. And he's like, no. And then he's like, Oh, he'll be fine. He'll figure it out or whatever. I can't even remember what we were talking about, but it was, wow. there was so much going on. I didn't even care if he got into the therapy because I knew the next day he was going to be mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. to the, um, to the in homes in home therapy. And, um, so, um, so he went off and, um, it was such a chaotic time of, of the school year because I had one son that was applying for colleges. And so we were, you know, we had a college counselor coming in and, and talking to us about, you know, applying. And, and so I'm trying, I've got one ear on, on trying to listen to her and then I'm going, have you, you know, we're like, um, cause I got a phone call. I'm sorry. Let me back up a little bit. Yeah. We got a, um, I got a phone call from the therapist and said, you know, he's not, he hasn't shown up. And I said, no, no, he left a half hour ago. And he said, well, he hasn't shown up. And I'm like, well, that's really weird. And so I, um, so I just, I just excused myself from the, um, college counseling and I, um, I went and I just drove, I just started driving and, um, I drove, I drove, I drove. I just, I just didn't know where I was driving, but I was just driving and, and, um, and then I drove down by downtown Menlo Park and. I remember seeing like a lot of traffic and I remember going, I don't, I, I, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know. It was the weirdest thing, but I just knew, I don't know what I knew, but I just, I just immediately went home. It's not like I just kind of stopped and, um, but there was a lot of traffic that day. And so, um, I drove home and, um, Still, we hadn't found anybody. You know, hadn't found him. He didn't have his phone, and um, so my husband was driving around as well, and um, so it was pretty chaotic. I talked to my husband. I said, "You know, should we, should we call the police?" I don't. I mean, I don't know where he is. So it was like four o'clock. Yeah, um, almost five. Uh, it's probably five. Okay. So five o'clock, and mm-hmm. um, so we called the police, and we had said, um, "We can't find our son." And we have some issues with our son, and he's depressed, and we don't know what's going on. And mm. and so they took, um, 
they came in and they interviewed me and you know it's weird I think back on that time and they said do you have a picture of him and I remember giving them him a picture and they said um I, I gave him the picture and I said isn't he beautiful and I don't know I just would never say that I mean you yeah, know what I mean yeah but um and then I remember them saying, do you know what kind of shoes he's wearing? Oh, boy. And um, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And um, I was like, weird. Why would you ask that? That's weird. Whatever. You know, whatever. And um, But things weren't just, I mean, something was going on. You know, I just knew something was going on. And, um, and, um, and then... Um, and then so he left and at this point the cop knew what was going on and he knew that my son was the one that was at the railroad track and he just needed to get a description from me but he didn't want to say mm, anything at mm -hmm, this point mm -hmm. so I went back to my son and his his um your oldest son called uh -huh, yeah mm -hmm. my oldest son i went back to him and his college counselor and we we're talking about stuff but i was just my mind was you know other places and i was trying to do two things at once and and my husband's coming in trying circling around the neighborhood trying to find him and and um, just it was weird and then um and then you get the knock you get the knock at the door that no one wants mm. and so um so yeah, so um, a police officer in a corner came, wow. and um, you know you just see it in the movies, yeah. And you just you never think that's going to be you, mm -hmm. and um, and so they they said we need to talk to you, and they didn't. The coroner hadn't introduced herself yet, um, but um, so you know we excused the counselor that was helping my son, and um, and I thought. I don't know, it just it was weird at that moment. I just, I thought something might have happened, but I didn't, I didn't think, you know, the worst had happened. I didn't think, you know, that he, suicide was, I mean, that was like, like, who, who does that? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. that no one does that. Mm -hmm. Who does that? No one does that that I know. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like kind of weird. Mm -hmm. And um, so it just wasn't even a thought. And then when they were saying that um, that we think that we found your son and we think that he's been killed. I mean, those are just like... Never want to hear that. Like, you can't even... You can't even process it. Like, mm -hmm. I can't... Mm. Like, you can't even get that in your head. Like, you can't... Like, you keep... You're like, wait, what? Wait, what? Like, you can't, yeah. like, hear people. You know, I don't know if you've ever yeah. had that where you can't even hear what they're mm -hmm. saying. And... Um, and um, so that was the beginning of a really crazy night. And um, um, I went, I remember going from police officer to police officer saying, you know, no, no, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And I remember throwing him out of my house. Really? Yeah. I just said, no, hmm. you know, and I just said, you do not know. I mean, that was after the screaming stopped. Yeah. Um, but I said, you don't even know what you're talking about and get out of my house and get out of my house. And, you know, and I mean, it's just weird how 
how grief kind of comes in. I mean, it's just such a whole process that you don't even know mm-hmm. what it's like. You're tra- I mean, your body is traumatized, yeah. everything. Yeah, you're totally traumatized. So anyway, so and then I remember my husband and I was, you know, I just, I, at that point, I just couldn't stop screaming, screaming, screaming. And then my husband came in, and my husband had been sick, and my husband had been driving around trying to find him. And then he came in, and then, and then he, I remember him just saying, you know, you have to stop, you have to stop screaming. And um, and then they told him, and then he fell, mm. and um, and that's when time split for me. Yeah. You know, that's mm-hmm. when time split. Mm-hmm. So. Was a very long drawn out. Yeah, well, that's that's the, the <laughs> yeah. time warp. That's the yeah. story. I mean, right. so October twenty thirteen. Right. That day seemed to last for almost years. Right. Right. As you right. process. Yeah. And then you've got October, November, December, January, February. So five months. Um. um he no, actually he died in April. April. He died, okay. My husband died in April. So seven months. Yeah. So seven months later, then Bill dies. Yeah. In your world, that whole seven months, I can't even imagine. I mean, yeah. that's what you started. Blo- when did you start blogging about it? I mean, because where do you even start to process or to make sense of losing your son and your husband in the span of seven months? Yeah. Um, so I started right after he died. He did the last entry into our blog. And then... Um, and I started up again as just really kind of because I was so sick of answering all the questions from everybody. Yep. And yep. and people kept asking me how I was. And and I just wanted to kind of document the journey of it mm-hmm. and and how it was to process grief and mm-hmm. how it was to process a grief that is so different than any other kind of grief. Yeah. It's just it's inexplicable. Yeah. It really is, is that there's nothing like it because it's just and I remember talking to a therapist and I said, so when is the questioning going to stop? When is it going to stop? And I said, I'm constantly, you know, chewing on this little tidbit and chewing on this little tidbit. And he said that the, the, um, it'll stop when you're exhausted. Mm. And that's it. It's like there's just so much more. And I just I got to a point where I'm like, I just can't do it anymore. I physically couldn't keep chewing on it anymore. And, um, you know, I had intensive therapy for a year and a half. Mm. And then I'm just like, okay, I just need to walk away for a bit. Because mm-hmm. it's trying to explain the unexplainable, mm-hmm. right? It's that why, you know, we have that innate self-preservation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to think that, why would you ever want to not be here? Yeah. So. So you, would you would you say you actually had a stopping of some sort? What do you mean a stopping? A stopping of, of grieving in a way through exhaustion. Talk about that a little oh, bit. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think it got to the point. Well, I think there's obviously different stages of yeah. it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, we're coming up on five years, which mm-hmm. I can't even believe. Time mm-hmm. warp. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first cup, the first year was, I don't even really remember like shock right Utter yeah it's, shock. it is shock and you don't yeah it is and 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 then when I was trying to deal with that I was trying to keep my husband alive too so yeah. that was the harder part too but um but it, it does get to the point where you question and you question and you mull and you chew and you mm-hmm. chew and you chew and then you're like I can't 
I can't chew anymore. Like mm-hmm. my, my mouth is so mm-hmm. sore from chewing. Yeah. And I just need rest. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm not really sure what kind of brought me out of it. Um, where I was able to talk about it and not break down. Yeah. Um, but I think... Um, I think just the fact that my friends were there to help me mm. and um, just stand by me was incredible. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you know, sometimes I think, um, like I remember even just you know, I went to. I remember someone saying, I can't remember if I told you this, but I, I, I um, someone said, "Well, gosh, you know, it's been like three or four months now." And I'm like, "Huh? Mm. Huh? What do you mean, like three or four months? Like, no, this like happened like last week." Mm. And I was, I was so, um, I was so out of it. Like I can't even explain mm. how, how you're just in that mm. zone where you can't mm. even, um, you can't even function. And then that you've been doing all this for the lot, you've been living and you don't even know the last, what's happened in the last three or four months. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway. People talk about the stages of um, stages of grief. Right? People talk about uh, shock, and then denial, and then bargaining, and I forget what the other one is. Um, well, I, I know the last one's acceptance. Acceptance, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> and sometimes they talk about it happening almost like sometimes people can do years mm-hmm. in each stage, and sometimes people can experience every stage all in a con- in the concept yeah. of a day or a week. Or yeah, and, I heard they don't go in order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They can go back and forth, and that's maddening. Like I just know from my experience too, and I'm sure listeners, you you know. Uh, you have to give yourself grace to experience that. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes as people of faith too, we don't allow ourselves to grieve because we feel like we have to, you know, get it all together or we don't allow ourselves to even, Oh, anger, anger is part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. My Mm -hmm. mom was talking about like, she still has anger, you know, over her mom taking her life. Um, She's not bitter, but there's anger, you know, and Mm -hmm. we were just processing or talking about that idea of, We'll never know what was inside her brain mm-hmm. or the the brain of a person who gets to that point. But I remember feeling um, when people would talk about, well, that person's so selfish, that person just cared about themselves. Uh, that was, you know, almost an easy way to deal with it. Like, you're right. And I'm going to be angry and I'm going to be bitter and I'm going to be frustrated and I'm going to forever carry that. And I don't want to belittle people's process you know in any way because i think we all have to that's part of the grief process we have to try to understand and sometimes that's a way to understand it that's Mm -hmm. a that's a thing we deal with we have to deal with our anger but somewhere along the journey i started hearing a different way to look at it where you know it is complex there's mental illness people getting to a point of taking their life it i mean gosh to be able to do that you got to be a brave person (laughs) in some way very interesting right and in your you're at a point where it's like you're at the end of your rope and you have, you're hopeless or whatever. It just gave me a different way to enter into the grief process. So that's really interesting because, um, during my 75 hours of, of therapy a week in the beginning, um, I was talking to my therapist and, um, he's like, I just want you to try this on for size. I just want you to think about honoring his decision. Mm. I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm. And he said, what about if 
he was trying to actually do the best. Oh, here we go. Um, what about honoring his decision and saying, you know, flip it on its head and say he was trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. and that he was he knew that his life was going to be miserable and he knew that he was going to cause you a lot of pain and he knew he knew the future and what about honoring his decision and i remember him using those words that's huge yeah it was it, it flipped it in my mind for me for some reason those words um, he says what if what if you can think about it as as honoring his decision to sparing his life his his life the pain mm-hmm. the pain in his life mm-hmm. and sparing you as the family so you want to be careful with that yeah, right you totally want to be right. really really careful with that because it's like you know you don't want that to be the permission to say oh Correct. i'm just better if i'm not here Correct. and you know you just don't want that but the fact it was just a different way for me to process the information that um Maybe he knew how much pain he was in more than, and how much pain he was going to be in the future, mm-hmm. and that um, he just couldn't couldn't deal with it, and he wanted to spare that from you. So anyway, so I'm not saying that that's how we should think about it. So yeah. it's better that people kill themselves, right. but in a way, it helped me, um, and it honored him mm-hmm. to be able to say he thought it through enough so that he loved us enough to be able to say, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this to you. So you have to be really careful, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. really careful with that one. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was a life changer in terms mm-hmm. of, of when he said that to me mm-hmm. is, is that he was trying to spare you. Mm-hmm. It's a bummer mm-hmm. because that's not what you want from mm-hmm. your kid. Mm-hmm. But I get it, and mm-hmm. it, it was I was able to hold on to that a little bit, and it and it made me feel a little bit better, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. That he's a he was a smart kid. He was, you know, he was an Asperger's kid, and he was smart. He was smart, 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 smart. And um, he kind of knew he knew a lot about life in his short little life, his little sixteen years, mm-hmm. um, but. It's so it's so hard because you just never um, you want a different ending to the story, right? And you want to always come through the other side. Mm-hmm. And I just never even contemplated the fact that we wouldn't make it through the other side. Yeah, I just never. I mean, you just don't. Yeah. As a mom, you just do. You know, it's like okay, you got a problem. We're gonna fix this, and you know, we're gonna move on. Yep. And and I think with mental illness, it's just such a it's such an unknown. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was really um, enlightening to me when my uh, therapist said, he said, you know, we just don't know a lot about mental illness. And I'm like, wait, what? This is your profession. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. He said, sometimes it's like we're just throwing things at the wall and mm-hmm. seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. He said, the mind is just so complex. Mm-hmm. We don't understand it like we understand other things in the body. And to me, that was comforting. Mm-hmm. It's like we just don't know all the answers, mm-hmm. and we think we know everything, but we don't. Mm-hmm. And 
I probably won't ever know that yeah. answer of why that happened mm-hmm. and what triggered it. And, and, um, you know, I selfishly always thought it was me. It's me. What I'm being a bad mom and what am I doing and what can I do to fix it? Cause I'm a fixer, right? It's like, you know, what can I do to help you? And, mm-hmm. and, um, sometimes you just have to sit back and say, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. It's not really about me. Mm-hmm. So that's a very tough lesson to mm-hmm. learn for sure. I I appreciate that your your process involved, you know, embracing some of the complexity and the strangeness of of life in the situation. This is something no one ever thinks they're going to have to go through. Mm-hmm. And then when you and then when you do find yourself going through it, it's like it, everything in your whole being resists it. It's like I don't even want to have to deal with it and talk about it. And I, now do I have to be the poster, you know, mother for this situation? Like I just, I mean, even just talking to you, you know, and saying, hey, can we talk in the podcast? I'm like. I feel it's almost sometimes it can be re-traumatizing, you know, to have yeah, to go through it. Interesting, you say you know? that because I am a little bit of that. Yeah. I am. I'm, I because mine. I think um, the trauma was so public. Yeah. Um, we were known in the community. We'd been there for a long time, and um, so it was kind of a big, big shock because we were very involved in all aspects of our community, the church and the the baseball fields and the community work, and the, I mean, we're just all aspects of it. Um, it was a rich life. It was a very rich life. And um, so it's interesting how people come forward and they start to bear their soul to you. And um, it's just, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's so different than what you thought you were going to be doing with your life instead of like, I mean, I never thought I'd be ministering to people that are, are, are suffering like I'm suffering. Right. But um, it's amazing how many people are out there mm-hmm. that are struggling. And in a way, it um, makes me really a lot more approachable mm-hmm. where it's like they know, people know, they tell me things that they don't tell a lot of people because they know I've kind of been in the pit. Yeah. And um, I know what it's like down there. Yeah. So... My friend, uh, who a new friend of mine, was talking to me about going through a divorce in a very public way, in in our same community, and she was saying just how difficult it was, uh, being a person of faith going through a divorce and all the different stories and the gossip. And uh, she said she found solace and comfort in some of her Jewish friends hmm. because they had this tradition of not wanting to fix it. Like there's this thing calling to. Um, Usually, when someone mm. uh, like a funeral calling, what do you call it? Sit, sit, sitting shiva. I might be saying that wrong. Forgive me, Jewish friends. But this idea that they're comfortable in the mess and they'll sit with you and invite you over or come over and they don't have all the cliche things to say. Oh, I love that. They sit and they weep and they cry or they'll just be silent and they'll just be. Uh, right and so you find those people right mm-hmm. you find you them. find those people and there are some and it's interesting because you see the different kinds of friends that you have mm-hmm. right and the different w- ways that they deal with grief mm-hmm. and um, with confrontation or problems and it's there's people that definitely come forward and there's people that go to the back and just go I can't I have no idea yeah. what to do yeah. for you yeah. and there are people that just come and they sit with you mm-hmm. and it's a gift mm-hmm. it's a huge huge gift to not be fixing it mm-hmm. and not, but it's a great, it's a great point. Mm-hmm. It's a great point because those are my, those are my besties, mm-hmm. right? Those are the ones that sat there mm-hmm. and 
they're like, um, let's just go to dinner. Mm-hmm. And they kind of sit with you in your mess. And mm-hmm. that's such a great image. I love that. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. there any other wisdom or thoughts you'd want to share with people? Like, I, like advice for those who want to be comforting to someone going through grief and not knowing what to do? What, what are some do's and don'ts maybe that you could share? Well, I have some great examples of it because I had, um, I have some friends that just, um, like I said, that were just there and, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of just showing up and it's not, um, offering, um, opinions or, um, I guess just not, it's just being there, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't need someone to say, well, you know, this is why this happened and this is why this happened and you need to do this and you, you just need someone to sit with you, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's what I found. That's when I found my really, my closest friends were the ones that came and sat with me mm-hmm. and walked with me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's interesting because it's you get a divide, right? You get a divide where there's the. It was a, a definite division in my friends at that point. From that mo- moment on, there were people that just couldn't deal. And I hate to say I've been one of those people before that just couldn't mm. deal with it. I'm like I would walk away because I just it was too much. And there's there's people that walk to the fire, and there's mm. people that walk away from the fire. Mm-hmm. And um, my besties that are around now are the ones that walked through the fire with me. Mm-hmm. So the simplicity of just showing up. Yeah. Sometimes people don't remember what you say anyway. They and you remember don't that hear you it. were there. And yeah. you don't want to hear it. That's you cool. don't really want to hear it. And there's nothing you can say. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing you can say mm-hmm. because, well, you're you know you're scratching for something. I mean, as you know, you're trying to figure it all out mm-hmm. yourself, and you want somebody to say something to feel better. But there's really nothing, mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of coming instead of face to face, coming alongside, mm-hmm. and. um saying you know i'm going to be there with you but it's not like you're saying um not you know dissecting it and and trying to to find an answer to the unanswerable right i mean that's the problem right is that you're just trying to find you want you're constantly seeking that and it's like there is no answer my uh, daughter's friend this is kind of a weird analogy here but my daughter's friend recently they lost their dog dog ran into the street and got hit by a car and we all loved the dog and my daughter loved the dog, you know, this friend. And we all had this emotional response because we have a dog, you know? And so when she was going over to her house for the first time, my daughter was saying, I don't know what to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. Do I bring it up? Do I wait for her? And it was just really this interesting teachable moment to share about like, you know, honey, it's okay to not know what to say. And sometimes I think our friends need us to say that. Like, I don't know what to say, but I'm but I'm gonna but I'm here. And if you want to talk about it, I'll talk about it. And if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to talk about it. But I just want you to know I'm your friend, and I care, and I love you. And it was really interesting because I got it emotional talking about a dog, right? right. Just thinking about. But, but it's such an analogy for life, yeah, right? Sometimes yeah. it's just about showing up. Yeah. Right. That's all you need to do is show up. And the right answers, like they don't, they really don't do any good. Sometimes they cause more pain. Mm -hmm. I've actually felt sometimes people trying to spiritualize things or share scripture. It all happens for the right reason. Yeah. Please don't say things like that. (laughs) Don't say things like, um, God is going to make good out of like, what's that verse I'm blanking. Like God will make good for all those who love him or whatever. Like it's weird to say that it's weird to even say like, like scripture at certain moments because it doesn't help. And I think, 
even God. That's the difference, right? That's the difference. It's like you don't want to be preached at at that point. Yeah. You yeah. want to be walked with. Yeah. You don't want to be preached at. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. That's and good. that's that's the true friends, right? The true mm-hmm. friends are the ones that come alongside you mm-hmm. and just go. You want a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. A slather on mustard and mayo. Right. And you know, yeah, it's yeah. like that's what you want. Yeah. It's like you don't want. I mean, and then as you talk and you bring things up, then you can process it. But it's really just about showing up mm-hmm. and saying, let's get something to eat. So, Kristen, can you talk about the color in your home and how you were processing through your home and the space and the color of your home? Yeah, so I um, I redid my house in the 90s, and it was um, harvest yellow and um, that red it's like that deeper red. It's like, like a, a rust barn red. It's or like something? a kind of like a bur- not a burgundy, but it's like a deeper red. It's like those French colors, you know. Everything's French because everything French is in. Okay. So you know, I had all the little French paintings, and I had a red wall, and I had, you know, the the wheat colored yellowy wall. So it was very French, right? And um, I don't know when I can't even remember because, as you recall, with with all this, there's time warp, right? You don't even know in your grief when things happened, but. I just remember coming into my house and it was offensive to me. Mm. It was, um, that's where my grief kind of took up, was in color. And um, anything bright and cheery uh, was something that I just didn't want to be around. And um, so, I don't know, I just immediately started painting. And, And so the guy's like, what color do you want to paint it? And I'm like, I want to paint it gray. And, um, it was amazing how, for some reason, my environment, um, I'm pretty visceral. Like I, Mm -hmm. I, things, um, affect me. And, um, so I wanted to, to, um, to get rid of the bright colors because the bright colors were just, they were harsh and obnoxious to me. And so I painted everything gray and, um, and just subtle colors, just some, and I finally kind of felt rest which is a weird thing, but I felt rest in my house where it was so restless for me and um, I needed everything neutral. And um, and then that's uh, what you're referring to is that's kind of how I tracked my progress is how much color am I going to allow in my life, back mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, for a long time, a couple years, um, two, three years, it was just gray, 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 all muted colors, nothing really stood out. Um, because honestly, it was kind of a cluttering in my mind, you know, like I wanted my mind, my mind was already so full with everything and thoughts and, and so that I wanted my environment to be as blank as possible and as serene as possible so that it wasn't so jarring and to be in my environment. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Total sense. And, um, so everything was like muted and light and then, um, and then I just, I didn't realize it one day, but, um, I decided I wanted, like, I put a pillow on the, on the couch, and the pillow was, had some pink and some green and stuff. And I remember looking at it going, hmm, hmm. that's kind of colorful. And that's kind of, like, all I could do was, like, one that little one little splash. Yeah. And then it's like, oh. And I kind of didn't realize it until, I didn't realize what was going on until later that it was the color was kind of taking residency in my grief right Mm -hmm. and um and so then you know slowly but surely you know another throw went on 
and um, that had a little bit more pink in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I started adding a little bit of color each month. I'd add a little bit of something else. And then I remember when I was redoing my, my bedroom, and I just, I didn't realize how much a small amount of change could do for my mental state. And I had my marriage bed, and it was a very ornate French country, beautiful million dollar bed. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't part with it, you know, God forbid parting with it. Cause I spent, we spent, you know, when we were first married, spent so much money on it, which probably wasn't a lot now, but at that point it mm-hmm. was a lot. And so um, when then I finally decided I'm going to redo my bedroom. I just, I needed a little bit of a change. So ripped out the carpet, ripped, you know, just pulled the bed out and, you know, kind of sucked it up and said, I'm selling my antique bed for nothing. And mm-hmm changed all the colors and um and it really was interesting because it was pretty parallel to what was going on in my life and I really saw that the color that was in my room was the parts that were okay in my life like the little parts that were okay in my life and it was starting to grow Hmm. and it was starting to feel more comfortable in it and I just I it's funny because I didn't really realize the impact of changing one room in my house I put in subtle colors, mm. and I put in, um, I put in things that were pleasing to me, and and it was just interesting on how that was mirroring my mental state. Mm. Like I was allowing just a little bit of color in, and then no, that's you know, little yeah. pillow here, little pillow there, that's good enough. Mm. And um, I realized that I was tracking. That was my progress. Was how colorful was my room. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to allow a little bit more life coming back into my into my regular daily living? Mm-hmm. And so um, I decided, you know, pink, mm. pink. My, you know, I like pink. Mm-hmm. And you know, of course, you always do the bedroom, and I wanted to make sure it was pleasing to my husband. And so it was, you know, blues and grays <laughs> and stuff like that. And so now I'm like, you know what? This is my bedroom now. I'm gonna do what I want to do. Yeah. And. Um, so it was very empowering, and it was very therapeutic, hmm. really, really therapeutic. So it's cool. amazing how happy I am yeah. now just in by painting my walls and allowing that color back in, and it's it's mirrored my mental state for mm, sure mm. that I'm, um, I feel healthier now, yeah. you know, and you can see it in my surroundings. So. I think that is so kingdom of God like as you were describing that to me uh you know I'm like as a filmmaker too my mind is going toward like 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 a movie and I'm seeing you in your home and the process from you know start to finish till now till all of the renditions of your house and the walls and the pillow and you can see it you know that's why I love also the idea of our life like the garden analogy that God is like you know our we are we're God's garden and sometimes it feels like there's just nothing on the tree mm-hmm. and there's all the flowers are dead, but all of a sudden this little sprout comes. And so exactly. I think that exactly. is a beautiful invitation for, for us to look at our life holistically because everything about our life, sometimes we try to categorize it, but we're whole beings. We are these created beings that everything about us, our environment speaks about our, our soul, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I love, thank you for all this stuff I think is really helpful. Um, I'm thinking about people who are listening, who um, maybe have a loved one who've gone through this type of grief, 
or maybe someone who's listening who's actually felt like they've been at the end of their rope. You know, they don't feel as if they want to go on living. What's some thoughts? How, how can people reach out to get help? What's a, what's a starting point for someone who either needs support from a family member or for their own journey? What would you say? It's such a, it's such a lonely journey in a way. Mm-hmm. It's a lonely, lonely journey that you hope you go with other people, mm-hmm. like, you know, but it's, but you're going by yourself, mm-hmm. but the people that were the closest to me, they, they didn't try to fix it, you know, cause it's unfixable, yeah. right. And unfathomable. Mm-hmm. And you just don't understand it. Like what in the heck? You just mm-hmm. don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And so I think by just showing up, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Cause I had, you know, the people that showed up and the people that didn't show up and they were, you know, I know that they were so scared because it's a scary topic, right? It's, you know, it's like the worst thing you can ever imagine. But the people that walked into the fire instead of ran, mm-hmm. those are my closest friends, right? Mm-hmm. And um, they were the ones that were there and able to come and say, um, we're going to do some laundry together. You know, it's like they didn't talk to me about anything, mm. you know. That's cool. And then um, then it all comes out, right? Mm-hmm. And it comes out at weird times, right? Mm-hmm. And um, because if people come over to try to fix you or try to say it's all better and stuff, there's just, that's the wrong way to do it, right? And I'm not faulting anyone for doing yep. that because I don't, you know, no one knows how to handle yep. grief and no yep. one knows how to, no one knows what to say. No one does. Right. But the people that just quietly stood beside me, are the ones that are my closest friends. It's beautiful. And you have, it seems like you've brought them on a journey too, in some way, right? I mean, it seems like you've pulled them in because they showed up. They're different now too. I mean, I'm look, thinking about the, the woman we reconnected in the Tenderloin in City Impact in the basement where you're doing mm-hmm. some amazing things. Yeah. And you had, what was her name? Leslie. Leslie. She's one of my besties. Yeah. yeah, which I could tell. You pulled her in to this journey of serving the, the poor of San Francisco in a surprising way and has changed her life. Mm-hmm. So why don't we close with that? Because you have this story now that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And now you're giving away your life, literally, your time your how many hours a week are you in san francisco building libraries and doing all the <laughs> stuff that you're doing um well <laughs> leslie and i are, um we go up there once a week mm-hmm. um, for the library um but there's always so much stuff to do and um um i remember my husband saying um what was the um the Groundhog's Day. Remember that? Movie? Yeah, the that Groundhog movie? Day. Okay. Yeah. And my husband's saying, I love that movie. And I'm like, you are just a stupid boy. What are you talking about? That's the stupidest movie. He's like, don't you get it? Don't you get it? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said he kept waking up and he kept trying to do things. It was the hedonistic and the, all the other kind of stuff. You know, the hedonistic and then doing, you know, changing something else. And then he said when it was service, right? And when you have the service, it's like that's when, that's when life makes sense. Mm. And so... Um, when we, that's what I get up at City Impact is that, is that when I'm serving, it's, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of all out of my pity party and Mm -hmm. it, it makes me feel better. Mm. Right. It's beautiful. So that's what we're called to do anyway. Right. Yeah. Serve one another. Yeah. So. 
So listeners, uh, I want to encourage you. That's how it's funny because Kristen and I reconnected sometime in we're in we're in the fall now. It was spring. Sometime in the spring, I was in the Tenderloin to do some research for the film that we're working on on Roger Huang, who's the founder of City Impact. And I was down in the basement of this building, which if you go into the Tenderloin, you know most people try to avoid the Tenderloin. Uh, because it tends to be a dark, scary place, so people think. And when I'm in the Tenderloin, honestly, sometimes I you know, look around and go, wow, every hour there are three major crimes yeah. in this little part of one square mile of San Francisco. Yeah. So I get why people avoid it, but there's a, a little tribe of people that believe in the power and the love of transformation and service that give and dedicate and sacrifice their lives in this little community. Mm-hmm. And Roger, the guy who came from Taiwan to flee an abusive um, father ends up giving, you know, trying to climb the ladder of the American dream in the hotel industry, but gives it all up to serve the poor of the poor. He started a church, a rescue mission, a school. And so I'm in the, I'm in this building. It's got this awesome 30 plus year history. And, uh, I mean, the stories are crazy. You can, there's a book called chasing God. You can get that on amazon.com, but I'm in this basement and, I'm walking through it and giving a, a tour because I hadn't been there in some time. And like, they've just remodeled it. It's amazing. And I walk into this room and I see this plaque on the wall and the plaque, you know, it's dedicated. The library is dedicated to William Everwine and Walker Everwine. And I, I'm like, wait, what? I, I see these names because I recognize these names. And I come in and there's Kristen in the, in the library, you know, labeling books and setting up shelves and doing her thing. And, it was awesome because that's where we reconnected mm-hmm. and I hadn't seen you in maybe a year or two. And mm-hmm. uh, I just think how cool the, the story of God. And here we are talking and reconnecting. And mm-hmm. so thank you for sharing your story, yeah. for talking about the color of grief. And uh, listeners, if you find yourself in a space where you feel alone, as Kristen said, it's a lonely journey to process uh, the death of a loved one. Uh, you will devour her blog, and I'll post it on the Facebook page. So please seek that out. Uh, you can go to facebook.com slash Holy Cannoli podcast, and you can find it there. Thanks, Kristen, for being on Holy Cannoli. Thank you. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today.